Welcome back. It's Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you, and we are approaching draft day. The workouts began, let's see, right now we're recording on uh, Thursday, June 9th. We had Jabari Smith in today. Got a chance to speak with him. Got a chance to watch him a little bit during his workouts. So we're gearing up. I've got multiple podcasts coming out. We had the Chetcast, uh, 90 minutes of Chet Holmgren chat. Uh, the Jabari Smith cast will be out soon, and I'm working on the Paolo Boncaro cast as well. Those will be available of course, wherever you get your audio. But today we are talking with jaded sports reporter, according to, <laughs> <laughs> according to Bleacher Report. According to Bleacher Report, a push alert in the Kevin middle Clark, of the night. Uh, you're a busy man. You're, you're having a moment, Kevin, um, between Mario Cristobal, between the F1 boom, yeah. and between somehow you reversing the karmic energy in the universe and landing our Orlando magic, the top pick by not watching, by being on vacation. Uh, it's been, it's, it's been a couple, it's been a couple good months for you, Kev. I, the lottery win is the apex mountain by far, by far. And so if anyone doesn't know, basically <laughs> the, 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 Reference to the jaded sports reporters, which report put a push alert. Imagine I'm just like, listen, I think highly of myself, but I am not push alert level guy here. If I'm doing something online, it was but, basically real that. fast, real fast. Let's just let's just break this down. If you're yeah. gonna push, if you're gonna push, then Kevin Clark should probably hold its own. If you're push alert worthy, yeah. then they should probably just say Kevin Clark, and we should know who that is. But they didn't. They just called you a jaded sports reporter. A jaded sports reporter, <laughs> tough one. Um, no. So what happened was, I was I, I I'm an idiot. Um, and you know, a lot of sports fans are. And so starting with the, the old depot draft, really every lottery I'd get really up for it. And I remember there was a year where I was in Boston for, for an NFL event. And I like, I FaceTime with my wife. Cause I just like wanted, like, I just, you know, wanted to talk and like react to the lottery live one year I was in the ringer offices and we got, I think it was the fourth pick. Um, and so like every year I would just get, I'd be on pins and needles freaking out. And we were in France. We were going from Monaco to, um, to Paris and we flew in and I was exhausted and I was, I was planning on staying up to the middle of the night. I I don't remember what it was going to be. I think 3 PM, something like that, 3 AM, excuse me. And I was exhausted and I was like, you know what? I've tried this. I've tried the sit on the edge of your bed. There's like, 10 of the last 10 lotteries, seven of them I've spent on the edge of a hotel bed somewhere saying, please God, let's win a lottery. And so I said, I'm, I'm reversing the curse. I'm not going to watch, but I am going to tweet they're going to win the lottery because I'm not going to watch. And then I wake up in the middle of the night, like, I don't know, six or 7 AM. And I just see, like, I could not believe how many alerts I had on my phone. I still haven't responded to really any of them because it was like something like 45 text messages, tons of DMs, um, emails all over the place, whether it's magic fans, friends, whatever. And then like, I didn't even have to look it up. I just saw the wall of notifications. And I was you like, knew. we, we got it. So what did you do afterwards to go back to bed? I went back to bed. I explained to my wife, um, what happened and she was probably pretty confused by it. And then, um, I went, we were at the Eiffel Tower. We did a couple of things that day. And one of them was we did an Eiffel Tower uh, little excursion through that park. And I bought a Heineken, which is the only beer they sell. I got some heat on this for buying a Heineken in the middle of Paris. I was going to ask. Only... I assumed it was, it was probably uh, limited access at that point. The, the Eiffel Tower more... in the background, you only get whatever beer they have, right? Like they, There's a stand that sells like ice cream and stuff. And thank God they sell beer. They're, listen, 
it was touch and go whether there's gonna be any beer in the park for the Eiffel Tower. But I got the Heineken. I don't no one's allowed to give me heat for that. It was the only beer available. And then I just made a video of me laughing with the Eiffel Tower in the background because it was a mixture of people who now think I'm responsible, like me not watching is the key to the magic success. People think I'm, I'm a magician or a warlock or whatever it is. Um, I can control things. But whatever it was, I thought the funniest thing to do would be to just just laugh on camera for a while while sipping a beer in front of the Eiffel Tower. So that, that's what I did the day after. I was so happy. Um, yeah, I heard from... Zach Lowe wanted to do a pod that day and I had to explain to him I was in France and I couldn't do it. Um, so hopefully we'll, I'll, I'll be back on the low post soon, but no, it was, uh, it was quite a day. I, I honestly couldn't believe it. I don't, th- I, I'm not sure it would have had the same effect if you were eating ice cream and laughing. Um, <laughs> it would have been, been a different vibe. I would yes. say that. Yes. Definitely. Less celebratory and more kind of, I don't know. Right. I, 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 I don't know what the yeah, childlike was the word I was, <laughs> I was thinking about using there. Yeah, it would be a little less. You can't gloat with ice cream. No, no, no. Not as it. much. Not it's as not much. a gloating, a gloating item. Um, you are a very busy man. Debatable. Tell, tell me a little bit about debatable. I was uh, I was checking it out. That's yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's an ESPN show that I am on every few weeks. I'm hosted by Pablo Torre, mostly with Dominique Foxworth, and those are the two of the smartest and funniest dudes on the yeah, planet. Yeah. Um, so that, that's an extremely part-time thing for me. Um, and, you know, it was funny because I was I was at the Seaport earlier today, and I, somebody was like, what are you up to? And I was just like, dude, I cover too many sports at this point. Like, I do the F1 stuff. Um, I'm doing a golf thing, a golf column off the live golf thing. Um, I did a Peaky, Peaky Blinders column today. Oh, I love stop. the show and it's Me coming too. out tomorrow. Oh, I'm so um, stoked. I, I already saw it. I already, I already saw the whole thing. I oh my God. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. I um, but uh, I don't want to, I don't even want to hint anything about yeah. it. But, um, and then obviously the NFL, which is my full-time job, I dabble in college. So like, it's been pretty busy. I mean, normally in the off season, when I was doing NFL in previous years, I got I basically unplugged in March, April, May, June. And this year we're just pushing through it. I, I kind of like it. I mean, I just, I, I like being kind of more of a generalist, being able to weigh in on different things that see fit. And like this live golf thing is such a mess right now that it's, it's like, you got to write, you got to write 2000 words on it. Well, and the good thing is the NFL, there's not much going on around the league. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We have Cooper cup coming on our podcast tomorrow. Oh, nice. Nice. Newly, yeah. uh, newly minted. Uh, you see the, you see my guy back here. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you about them in a little while, but that's, Oh yeah, of course. Ooh, that's a mess. It's been uh, the Cleveland. Does the Cleveland Brown. Does that guy have a name? The elf thing? He's the brownie elf is his name. Oh, boy. He's huh. the brownie elf. Um, Could have workshopped that one, made it a little better. He, well, I mean, he was originally yellow, which doesn't make a ton of sense with the Steelers two hours uh, to the to the southeast of us. Um, but, yeah, he was like a late 50s or early 60s guy. Anyways, um, so 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 you're a super busy man, obviously. Have you had a chance to, to dive in to draft prep? Have you? Been able to pull yeah. uh, pull yeah. some of your, your resources I mean, I, and I, I, what are your I, opinions? It, it, okay, so I have had most of my communication about this with a couple of magic friends. And then, you know, luckily one of the best resources that I have is that I work at the ringer. Kevin O'Connor is there, Ryan Rosillo is there, Bill Simmons is there, Magic Fan Steve Cerruti is there. And so we've been talking a lot about it. There's a lot of people who are really leaning towards Jabari. I don't know. 
it seems like it's becoming more and more of a natural fit. My inclination at first was Chet, um, just because of the higher ceiling on a guy that size. I have to, I have to be honest with you. I don't, I don't want to be. I didn't watch. I, I've now watched a lot of cutups of Jabari, and I understand it. And it was funny. I was just listening to Philip Rossman Reich, and he was saying that that on, on one of his pods, and he was just talking about how some of these videos, at the old Draft Express videos, they can make you know the thirty seventh pick in the draft like look like you know Will Chamberlain. Like oh, some of these, you just got to watch it when you're doing these things because any anybody who's going to be in the top sixty picks has ten plays where they look like Michael Jordan, right? Um, so you have to watch that a little bit. I was surprised. We're still talking about this on the pod. We, we talked about it offline too. The guard service for Jabari was really inconsistent. And Jabari was not the primary creator there. There were minutes at a time. I think there were, I think Rosillo said that there was a game where in the last eight minutes, he got two touches at one point, like mm-hmm. a big SEC game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, sometimes you, you got to kind of throw that out. But on the other hand, you know, he should have maybe, called for the ball, dominated, been a creator. I don't know. I That that that, that part, the scouting part of it, I think is a, a little bit above my pay grade. Um, but the, the bad taste in my mouth, to be honest with you, Jake, was I went to the University of Miami, and we played Auburn in the, um, in the, in the end tournament. And Jabari got – I mean, I, I love the University of Miami and that basketball team, but there is not an NBA, a true NBA guy on that roster last year. And they kind of punked Jabari a little bit. Mm. And you could tell they went right at him in some cases, got physical with him. And it felt like Jabari disappeared a little bit and stopped being assertive. And if you're, you know, there's a couple of guys in there who, you know, their future is in Europe, I think, we're looking at. Um, Isaiah Wong might be a borderline guy. We'll see if he sticks. I really like his game, obviously. Um, But it's not, you know, we had no height on that team. We had no paint presence on that team at all. There's a bunch of guards. There's a bunch of six three guys. And what coming into that game, I said Jabari is going to absolutely destroy us. And he never, he never asserted his will. And so mm. that's the bad taste in my mouth. But then everybody else says that's everybody else says that was an aberration. That was that was a, a black mark. But we shouldn't read too much into it. So, you know, it's hard for me to divorce the fact that I saw him play not very well against my favorite team. Um, but that that's the extent of it right now. And I'm willing. Listen. Bill, Rosillo, Kevin O'Connor, they know so much more about hoops than I do. Um, I'm, I'm just a fan. I, I sit around and watch every game and love the magic, but like those guys do scouting for a living and, and I'm, I'm, I'll defer to them in that spot. It's, there's a similar knock on Chet about the way that Arkansas yes. kind of manhandled him, but Arkansas is not Miami. Arkansas is an Eric Musselman-led team with, yes. with some pros and some pros that um, play a pretty rugged style. What are you hearing as far as Chet goes, like from from those guys? I guess what's what's kind of the the prevailing thought. I mean, it's it's funny because I think that that's there, there there's a a um, I think that so much of the conversation right now has been on Jabari and then Bancaro as well, um, who I actually thought was also a bit of of a of a passenger. Um, and I thought that I saw him play in the NCAA tournament, excuse me, ACC tournament, which is right down the street from me, and it looked to me like. Sometimes you kind of try to try and fail to take over games hmm. um, with Chet. And listen, sometimes these are small, small, small sample sizes. And also Duke had four NBA guys. Maybe no, but Kevin, it's interesting you team. say that because the Paolo pod, which is going to drop. That was, I got that from two different, two different guys. Yeah. 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 Um, and so with Chet, I don't know. I mean, I I'm, I'm in agreement with you that the Arkansas game didn't cover him in glory, but I bet on size. Like I, I will, I will defer to, to size and what happens if, you know, Chet, just because of his size, 
Chet's best case scenario is better than Jabari's best case scenario. That's yeah. just how I viewed the sport. Um, maybe we're just old. Maybe we're just still like in the Shaq era and like big men are just totally different and it's a different game and we should, we should, you know, be more comfortable with the guy um, who's 6'10 and plays a, a different way and can take over a game. I'm fine with that. Um, but I love his length. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I probably, the wingspan is something that is extremely important to our, to our front office. And so the fact that he's a long guy, the fact that he's seven feet, they probably are pretty tempted into that. Um, it's hard to, hard for me to make the call right now, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm just glad that we, I, I really do believe in this front office and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're the ones making the decision, but you know, on the other hand, it's, it's funny because Rudy and I used to go back and forth on this last year. Like the problem with the Raptors picking in front of us is they're such a good organization that they were going to make whoever it was look good. And then comes Scotty Barnes and he looks good. Um, and it's funny with OKC, I think they've got a good program and they're smart as hell and they're going to pick someone really well at two. Um, and so it's going to be really funny to, to measure that going forward. Uh, you almost wish it was a, a totally dumb team picking behind us just in case they, they would screw it up and, and make me feel better for the entire year. I don't need this anxiety in my life. Oklahoma City is going to hit on the second pick. That's such a magic, that's such a magic anxiety, magic, unique level of anxiety where it's not even, it doesn't even matter how well we do as long as we look a little bit better than the adjacent team in the trap. Well, no, but also we've, we've been one player, we've been one pick away I know. from a handful of superstars. This has been repeated ad nauseum. I don't need to go through the list again. Um, you know, I, I was on camera live when we, when we missed out on Trey Young and got Mo Bamba. And people still bring that up to me um, about how devastated I was. And you never, you never knew in that spot. I mean, we knew which way it was trending, that, that Trey was not going to drop to us. Uh, he, he has said in the past he thought he was going to be uh, a magic player just in a pre-workout stuff. Didn't end up happening. But now we have, I just like how I can just find anxiety in any situation where it used to be like, oh no, we're going to get the fifth pick in a four player draft. And now it's, we're the first pick. And now I'm worried about number two. Like, I, I guess, I guess I'm never going to be happy is the point I'm trying to make. Probably not. But also, I mean, so help me God. We were at a draft party, the six man show. It's a, it's one of our yeah, podcasts. Yeah. Um, they threw a draft party, Harry Buffalo downtown and we win the lottery. And it's, it was probably the first time I've hugged a stranger, you know, since before the pandemic, right? Like it was, there was sort of all these demons being exercised in that room. And I walk out and I hop down with Brandon Kravitz to do a, a, a stream with him. And literally as I was walking out, Kevin, a guy was like, ah, oh, they're going to anyways and take chat <laughs> <laughs> I was, this was like, just, just trade the pick. This was like two, we trade the pick. Two minutes after, life. two minutes Whoever after, we get the most ecstasy we had, and, and I, I find Chet very interesting because basically anytime there's that those mm, that kind of polarity on a prospect, yeah. I'm intrigued and I'm like, okay, I need to know more. I need to know more. And obviously, the guy, you know, shimmied Steph at a camp when he was in high school, and then there's Jalen Suggs tie, and defensively, there's not, you know. He's most comped to, to Mobley just as far as the impact that he made defensively. Now, they're two completely different players, but I think he could be a great defensive player right away, and it's going to take Jabari some time. He's got a lot of skill on the perimeter. I'm just so enamored with what Chet can do on both ends eventually um, and how high that ceiling is, and I'm not as worried about the floor. I think it probably is a little lower than the other two because of the body, but you know, if you can't count on putting some weight on him, wait on a guy who's 19 years old right now and getting him in and, and pumping him up a little bit, then, then probably there's even deeper concerns. I don't know if he should be a top three pick. If you think he's going to be well, 195 his whole career. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. 
if if you took away if you if you made the biggest contribution uh, to the, the biggest part of your equation here is where the, the pick fits in our roster, okay, and it fits with our starting five, fits with our core, which we know for the first time, I feel in years, I know what this core looks like, yeah, and I don't think we're actively, you know, I, I who knows what Obama's future is. But I don't think we're actively looking to shed. There was always too many cooks in the kitchen, right? It was yeah. always like, oh, we have to decide between Alfred Payton and Oladipo, whatever. And um, I, I, for right now, I feel like we can we can move forward with this. Uh, the backcourt's going to get a little crowded at some point if everybody gets healthy. Fine with that. There's also no backcourt candidate here. When you think about Franz, when you think about Suggs, when you think about even a guy like like Cole Anthony and, and, and his energy and what he brings, who, who do you think is the best guy if you're just going off a of fit? We kind of did this exercise this morning, and to me, Jabari would be the best fit right away because this team has needed shooting and offense, and it kind of has a hole offensively, I think, right in the middle. Um, but I think Chet Holmgren, sort of based on what we did last year, would slide right into what Mo was, to, to that yeah. spot, if, if Mo is no longer a part of the plans. You've got Wendell and Franz and, and sliding Chet in to that front line. Um, that's, that's very, very appealing. I, we, we still need shooting, but it's not like Chet can't shoot. Um, I think Jabari could slide Wait, in. that does, well, hold up. That doesn't sound like the magic. We still need shooting. It's only been a problem for a decade. A decade. And, and Jabari Smith is like the prospect that you would say just sort of quickly alleviates that. But then, yeah. but then, you know, we do have other guys that I think are going to be better shooters eventually. I, that part's kind of frustrating, but that's why in my head, I have them sort of one A and one B right now. Um, but with that said, I was a little out on Paulo in the first place because I felt like a lot of what he was able to do in the ACC was um, was because was physicality, but like he's also he is 6'10", 250, like every bit of it, like that's going to translate a bit. I don't know if he's going to be able to get where he needs to get and create like he was able to at the next level, um, but he's a very impressive prospect. I think all three of them, you know, would make the team instantly much better. I just. I keep on sort of defaulting to the higher ceiling with Chet. Ben, I, I tend to agree. Ben Caro, to me, I think he's going to have a nice career. He's just a distant third for me. That's a distant third. That's kind of where and, I am. And, yeah, and I, I keep seeing him thrown into sort of a big three. And I, I, I get that. It's a three-player draft. Whoever gets him is, is going to be super happy with it. But um, it's, it, it's a two-player draft as far as, as far as we're concerned. What – what can it mean? What should it mean to the franchise? I mean, all, we got eyeballs all of a sudden. You know, people were people were locked in on the fact that we had Jabari in today. And and by the way, that was really cool. It was I haven't had a I haven't done a pre draft workout since I was working in Detroit for crying out loud. Um, he's an impressive kid. He is. Uh, yeah. He I didn't know I didn't know if he was going to be a good soundbite, and he was very very comfortable. It's not exactly a heavy hitting media horde down here, but yeah. Um, but it was fun. Yeah. I mean, you think about the way we we've built through the draft and I understand that even the 2019 aside from Dwight was built. I think Hito was a mid-level exception at one point. Obviously Richard was what I considered to be at the time an overpay, which is not, it's not an overpay. And Steve Van Gundy's mentioned this before, but like the point is to get a player like Richard Lewis for whatever it was, $110 million, whatever it is. Like he had a role to fill. He filled it as well as he possibly could. It's not a bad contract. That's fine. We're not going to relitigate the Richard contract, but I, I love his contribution history. All right. There's a long way of saying that you think about the times we've had the, the first overall pick Shaq, obviously Chris Weber, obviously flipped for Penny Hardaway. 
Dwight Howard was a rekindling of the franchise. It's always preceded the good times. That we get the first pick, we don't screw it up, they become a part of the community. Orlando still has a community feel, we embrace them. And kind of going back to what I showed from that earlier, we've never had, we've never entered a draft sure that we're going to get who we want. And that we're, sorry, in, you know, let's start with the hiring of Rob Hennigan and the firing of Otis Smith, right? In that era, the post-Dwight era, let's say, 2013 forward, we've entered a draft where, you know, Old Depot, we had the second pick, but that was, who knew? Nobody thought that was particularly deep draft, and it wasn't. No. Um, you know, Aaron Gordon, the year, the year we had that, we had, it was fourth, and there was a lot of, I remember doing a lot of scouting of, of a bunch of point guards that we didn't we didn't go with. Hazonia, um, obviously Alfred Payton throw in there as well because we, we traded our SR to away. Um, Hazonia, we thought was going to be a superstar, but that was still fifth. But there's always been an uncertainty. Isaac at six, all that stuff. Mo, Mo at six. There's always been an uncertainty coming into the draft that things aren't going to go our way or that we're going to get locked out of, of the franchise players. And now we just have we have the luxury of deciding and we're, yeah. we, we have not controlled. I'll put it this way. We have not controlled our own destiny post white. And that's what the first pick to me signifies is that if we botch this and we pick Chet and it ends up being Jabari ends up being a hall of famer or vice versa. I, I want it to be us. I want it to, you know, us going out on our sword and it's not a lottery balls fault. It's not, we, you know, got got unlucky once again. We won too many games, whatever it was. Fifth pick I in a four-player draft. Absolutely. I want our franchise to be in control of whether or not we get a franchise player. And for the first time post-Dwight, we had that responsibility. And so, I mean, these days, you don't even get the guys in if you don't have the top pick. Yeah. Like, it gives us an opportunity to meet whoever we want to, to get them in um to, to get them down here and, and and meet the rest of the guys seven or eight guys were in for workouts today we were, we were watching yeah. Jabari and J.I. walks in Cole walks in yeah, half yeah. the team was there um which is pretty good for this time of year to have to have half the roster there and, and, and that's so valuable the, the getting guys in thing when you get the top there, there's two reasons for it and I borrow this from the NFL there are times when I mean I'm you know hypothetically the Chiefs will bring in a quarterback and everybody will say well what the hell? What, what, what's going on? Why are they working out this quarterback? They got Patrick Mahomes. Well, there's two reasons. Number one, who knows what five years from now is going to be get this guy's a free agent, get this guy in, get to know him, you know, find out about his background, all that stuff. But the second thing, which is more important, is the more you get these guys in and you work them out, it can only help your front office with the education process of what a modern good prospect looks like. That you're getting these guys in, they can work together, you see their competitiveness. What are we hey, what are we measuring? What are we trying to measure? This is a big thing with football, is they've got all these new models and analytics and all that stuff. Like, let's get these guys in. This is you know, the team wants to bring in a defensive end for a visit. They want to, you know, put him through tests and all this stuff and just start building out the data set. I think that's what's so important when you get these guys in the building. Maybe they know it's a two-player draft. Maybe they saw on tape and they've they've already decided. But you, you, the more information, the better. And this is a front office that does its due diligence. And so yep. it is so valuable to get these guys through the door. And, hey, what if, you know, what, what, what if, it, if it's, it's obvious, even J.I. walking through the door, that they've got, he's got some, you know, friendship or chemistry we didn't know about with this guy. And maybe this guy's available at the deadline two and a half years from now. And, and we sort it out. Like, the more information, the better. It cannot hurt. And that's why I think um, this front office in the draft process is, is so exciting for me.
maybe you're able to glean some information about his teammates at Auburn or maybe hundred percent. Maybe you're making community, you know, in this league um, relationships with agents, you know, there's there's, there's only so many agents floating around. Um, That's all a benefit. And it is something that we have to deal with when you're in Orlando and you have the fifth pick, you're probably ain't going to get Cade in for a workout or whatever. Um, That's just kind of the way that's just kind of the way it's worked out. And so um, I think there's, and it's eyeballs, it's attention. It's um, finally, we're sort of at the center again um, of the NBA world. And that can be a lot of fun. And look, you know, we're going to be locked in on summer league this year and we're going to be selling tickets this year and we're going to get some primetime games, I would think. So um, that's all obviously a, a benefit. Do you think because of that level of anxiety that you have and that a lot of people have, does that alter the approach? Do you think, does that mean, okay, we have to take quote unquote, the safer pick because Rob Hennigan drafted Mario Hazonia. That seems a little ridiculous, no. doesn't it? That's for us. That's, That's for, for us. us. It's for me. It's for you. Yeah. It's for my guys back home who are texting me all the time about how Cole <laughs> Anthony looks like a future all-star. That's for us. <laughs> the front office now wasn't even here for some of those scars that obviously the Hazonia stuff and so, some, so, you know, listen, Mo was not the home run pick, but also as we discussed, like I, they're, they got shut out of the superstars in that draft. They didn't have a shot of Luca, didn't have a shot of Trey Young, whatever. But one thing I like is that these guys are pretty um, uh, analytical, I guess, not in the analytic sense, although they are that. But they're going to approach it as if it's it's just rational decision making, yeah. and they're not going to they're not going to freak out and say, "Oh, we're scarred from from you know trading Old Depot instead of Alfred Payton." They don't they don't care about that. That's for us to carry those scars and those guys to make the the rational decisions. Um, you know, oh, we, we should have kept Sabonis. Well, these guys aren't in charge of that. We shouldn't have traded for Serge Ibaka. These guys aren't in charge of that. So we can get anxious, but I actually don't think that they are, and I also don't think. I don't think it's the type of fan base where they're going to put external pressure for any one player or any one type of player. Um, There are certainly lessons that I learned from watching basketball. Most of what I view, the the prism through which I view most basketball, I learned early on from, frankly, the mid-90s magic which is, you know, just heaving threes up before, you know, Dennis Scott and all those guys, you look at their three-point numbers, you know, it looks ridiculous now, but it was still leading the way. And in 2009, same way, um, you know, Magic set the all-time record for three-pointers made in, in, I think, Sacramento that year. All that West Coast trip was unbelievable. They were just draining threes. And so I I certainly view basketball through the prism of what I learned by good Magic teams just because I was there for most of those games. Um, But... I don't think this is the type, you know, you always hear in Chicago, oh, we got we to gotta play, if we're the Bears, we got to play good defense. That's our identity. That's our identity. And you hear that all the time and in different markets because there's this really passionate kind of fan base that maybe this marriage of the past. I think because Orlando is frankly a newer city, it's, it's a, a fan base that is constantly changing because there's always new people moving to the city, yeah. new people, people moving out of the city. Um, I think they were kind of a blank slate. So I don't think, I think kind of the diehards are saying, oh, you know, we're anxious or, oh, we need this guy. But I think most, most of the fans are just, um, they just want the best player. And I that that's a very good place to be in. Yeah. I, um, it's, it's really hard to tell a fan like, no, take the home run swing and, you know, yeah. results be damned. But it's basically the argument is if you think Chet is going to be a bust, if you think Chet is going, is, is 
Do you think Chet's weight is going to be such an issue that it's going to be right. very, very hard for him to get to this level? Then, then you shouldn't take him anyways, I, in my opinion. You think he's going to be able to manage that and people aren't going to go right through him um, and then look at the rest of it because the rest of the upside is incredible. The defensive numbers that he put up last year, just the skill set in that body uh, is something that we've only seen a handful of times. I don't know. I, I, I hesitate to tell a, a Magic fan to chill out and that things will be okay because I can understand the neuroses. Um, but I do think, don't be scared. Um, don't be scared of Chet Holmgren. I think, uh, I, I think the potential there is something that could be a lot of fun for a long time. Mo Bamba, do you expect him back? It depends what we do in the draft. Um, I, 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 at this point, it sounds like we're, we're trending towards not – not having him. I don't know. I mean, I, I it's not something I, I, I keep up with every day. Um, the qualifying offer is 10, which is not unreasonable. If we left it at that, um, cap hold of, of 22, I'm looking at the numbers right now. And then, um, obviously if I, 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 I don't know. I mean, my, my, my thing is, is that I've, I've always believed Mobamba. My colleague, Kevin O'Connor is probably, probably the biggest Mobamba believer on the planet still. And in, in the year of our Lord, 2022, um, I wouldn't mind him being back. I just think that there are, it's a great big world out there. You could upgrade on him in theory, whether that's in the draft or, or somewhere else. So I, I, you, you would know better than me, frankly. Um, but I, I don't, I could go either way on it. It's not, he, when I, when I was naming my core earlier, uh, he was not a part of that. Yeah. I, I it's going to be interesting to see what his number looks like and what his market looks like. And then you're right. The draft does matter. We have three picks in the top 35. Um, people keep forgetting we have uh, the Pacers second round pick. And I highly doubt we're going to have three rookies in on this roster next year. So if you, you know, but if you do use two of those picks, let's say, or maybe you do use all three, you probably need yeah. some veterans in there. We don't know what's going to happen with Terrence. And so if it's the money, if that sort of number that you said could go towards, towards Mo, or you could package it with a, um, with a little other space and get a, somebody who's a bit more of a veteran, I think that might make a little more sense. I don't think you're going to have 10, 25 and under guys next year, are you? You just need, first of all, there's, there's a couple of things you need. Terrence Ross sounds like he wants a new challenge. We, somebody's got to score. Somebody's right. got to score. We need someone who can just literally go in the game and get buckets. Yeah. So we need to sign, and we can't rely on a, a, a 20-year-old for that, right? It doesn't matter who we draft. We can't rely on a 20-year-old for that. So we would need some shooting, and that that comes through fragrance. We need a 28-year-old who's going to make buckets for us. Yeah. And um, so there's there's that there's that part of it. I, I just also feel like with a young team, I know this sounds strange, but like I you you would see it noticeable in like the two playoff runs and, and a couple of other big games where because we're a pretty young team. There was no one really to yell at the refs. There was no one really, if someone got knocked down, to go bark at, at somebody else. And Michael, Michael Carter-Williams filled that really well, I thought, yeah. um, especially as his magic career progressed. I mean, there was a game, I think it was the game against Toronto where we got our ass kicked. But I remember um, the, the, the first home game, I forget. Um, I went to both of them. But it was the one that was where Siakam just had us in hell. But I remember it was, it was noticeable that Michael Carter Williams was the only guy who was a going at the other team, but b going at the rest. And you, you, you need that. You need a veteran presence. So I think we need scoring, and then we need a guy who's just gonna 
rattle a few cages, man, um, and, and just get up there. Because when you get those young teams, they, they can be very quiet. Um, they can, you know, I remember one of the reasons, from what I understand, Otis Smith let Grant Hill leave was because he wanted it to be Dwight's team and he wanted Dwight to take the next superstar step and uh, start being a vocal leader. Well, you got to time that perfectly. Because yeah. you can't, you can't say, "Hey, Jalen's our guy next year." Like, I don't know. Like, you might be two years away from that. You can't. It, it's not like watching a three-point shot and saying this guy's going to take a step forward. The personality part of it, the, the leadership part of it. I think Jalen Suggs is a is a damn winner, um, and I loved what he did at Gonzaga. And I was I was over the moon when he got him when we got him. But there's a lot of young guys in that team, and I just feel like a couple more veterans there that we could throw in. Um, that, that, that that can only help. I mean, I think Vooch was a really good presence in the locker room, taught the guys how to be professional. That was important. He, he helped us more than we could ever imagine by getting those picks and Wendell Carter. Um, so I think that there's there's some uh, fringe guys we can add in free agency who can only help to accentuate this core. The only thing that matters is getting these young guys to the finish line of superstar. That's the only thing that matters. Yeah. And so if you're serving, if you're if you're signing guys, it's in service of that. I don't think we're going to be particularly good next year, but if we can go out and get guys that the front office knows is going to help develop these guys, that's all I care about. Yeah, absolutely. Jalen, Franz, you know, uh, Wendell's a good point because Wendell sort of grew into that role last year and he is a little bit kind of in between, you know, maybe about ready to be a veteran presence and leader on the team. Um, And, but I I think you need, you you need more than that. And ideally you need some guards. Like I, I think we need, I think we need guys who can sort of help Cole and RJ uh, and Jalen see the way. Um, and, uh, and and I don't mind having Mo Wagner. Mo Wagner is another guy who, if back next year, and, and I have a feeling he will be, uh, is not afraid to go after anybody. He's just going to go after Luka yeah. Doncic. He's going to go after the officials. Um, all right. This has been That's so much point. fun. Before you go, Kev, I got to ask you about my brownies. A year oh ago, you told me. Do I have to? Tell me this. <laughs> tell me this. Is, is, is it's going to, it's, more than likely going to get even worse before it gets better, I assume. And by yeah. the way, shout out to Jenny Verentis in the job she's done reporting wow. this story. Incredible. She's done a phenomenal job. Um, Wonderful. I, I what, sort what of. Did, what did I tell you? What did I, did I tell you a year ago that they were they were going the right direction? You told me a year ago to be nervous because Baker Mayfield was the worst quarterback in the con, in the division. Oh well, that was true. Which um, is right. Which is right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, the, the part of the problem is right. I, I said this in the Ringer NFL show yesterday. Part of the problem is that the defining moment of Roger Goodell's career thus far has been the Ray Rice incident. Mm-hmm. And what happened with Ray Rice was they underspended him. I think they gave him two games. And then more information came out, and they had to definitely suspend him. And that ended up in the courts and all that stuff, and it was a huge mess. Goodell came – I don't think he was, like, inches away from losing his job, but he certainly was – you know, it was certainly more talked about than than a normal year. Um, yeah. and, and there were owners where maybe they were rolling their eyes at Goodell's performance. And the problem with this is if you underpunish Deshaun Watson, let's say it's six to ten games, which was I think eight had been reported a couple weeks ago, was was kind of by the baseline of the league. Maybe maybe that's in line. But if you give him eight games or ten games off of the twenty-four. Uh, lawsuits have been filed. Well, who's to say Jenny Brennan doesn't have something next month that's even more damning? And then we get into the same stuff we got into with Rice. Like, this is not a settled case. When, you, when you're dealing with someone where it's a troubling pattern of behavior, like with Watson, I don't know how you do anything other than indefinitely suspend him and say, you're gone for the year, you're done, 
Like, I'll see you next May, and maybe you can come back then. That's the only way. And this is not just a Goodell protectionism thing. Like, when you read that report, when you read the lawsuits, when you read the shifting narratives of Deshaun and his lawyer, I, it seems like a, a, a year-long suspension. Is, it, it should be the starting point. Yeah, I... um. I don't know. The more, the more that comes out, the more, like I can sort of morally bargain with, with, with somebody being in, this is face of the franchise aside. I could, this is, do I want to cheer for the guy? I can morally bargain with somebody being a John. Sure. Right. We, we, we could debate whether or not it should be illegal, but that to me is not the worst thing in the world. I can't really morally bargain with somebody being a predator. And I don't want I don't want him to have anything to do with, with with my team if he is. I don't I don't care if he's suspended for a year and redemption. I don't know. And that's to me that's kind of the borderline with between what's being reported now and what it was before. And maybe all of the stuff before twenty two means you're a predator no matter what. I don't know. Um, but I you know when we first got him, I I did the moral bargaining. I said okay, like. It, this is this is weird and this is hard, but he's a really good football player. And hopefully the fact that there's no criminal charges coming means that, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, and hopefully he's yeah. able to, we're able to, you know, he's able to, to achieve some sort of redemption and um, and make things right. And now I'm like, I, this seems way too far gone for any of that. It, 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 it's too far gone for there to be actual redemption. Is it too far gone for him to ever take a snap with the Cleveland Browns? I think that's still possible. It's still possible that I think there were people who were saying, you know, he's never going to see the field again. Uh, I'd be very, there's a path towards him playing again. That, 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 that much is certain. He has $230 million guaranteed. Um, The Browns are not going to take that dead cap hit. I mean, even if, even if they want it, even if Jimmy Haslam and Andrew Barry said he's never taken the field, they would still, I'm sure, carry him on the roster and just put him on the commissioner's exempt list and go from there. Um, But, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you're looking at, I think you're looking at 2023. I'd, I'd be very surprised. And this is not all based off reporting. I actually haven't spoken to anybody in, in, in the only thing I talked to talk to people about this week actually was I talked to a couple of GMs and cap guys about what would even happen with that, um, that cap hit, like just under like, just, just functionally, if the Browns decided to move on from him, if something horrific happened, you know, well, I'm sorry. Like if, if something came out that was so horrific that it, it, that it uh, you know, the next report was immediate cutting, right? Like it, what, if that step was happening, um, how would they carry that? That's the only thing I've talked to people about. And it sounds like it becomes a little more manageable next year um, to the point that maybe they could do something there. And there's, there's, there's always ways to, to sort of wiggle that out. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm done. I'm done projecting here because projecting suspensions because I, you know, we thought it was 22. Now it's 23. Now it's 24. Now it's 66 different appointments where a bunch of them didn't sue that 66, obviously is the number of appointments, not the number of accusers, right. but this, this story just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, and it's hard to make any judgment until I, I, I think we're all ready to say, okay, now we know the extent of the accusations. It's very, it's uncomfortable. I tried to do it on the radio yesterday live and it's very uncomfortable to, to speak to. Um, God, God, God bless, God bless podcast where you can edit is all I'll say about that. I think I made it through. Okay. Um, really, really, really quick. Do you think there's any way that it, the whole thing gets voided? Like, is there any way that if criminal chart, if he lied to yeah, the NFL, I mean, that, 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 that sounds like cope to me, honest, honestly, yeah. dude, like that, that, 
I, it, it, it would be hard for me to see a court saying you traded for this guy and added $95 million for an extra year after 22 accusations and then accusation 23 and 24 changed were, yeah. well, yeah, changed it. I mean, like I, this is what about the stuff about Rusty Harden talking to the prosecutor that scares the hell out of me. And it makes yeah. me wonder now, I mean, it does make me wonder if, if criminal charges were reintroduced now, does that mean that the contract was signed under false pretenses in any sense? No, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a tough sell. I mean, you have to remember like contracts are contracts and even yeah. this is a completely different bucket, completely different bucket, but you know, the NFL PA sued on behalf of Aaron Hernandez when the Patriots said, we're not paying Aaron Hernandez. And the NFL PA said, that's not how this works. Yeah. And Hernandez, um, you know, was, that was, that was far more, uh, yeah. uh, it was, he was convicted of murder. Like, yeah. oh, come on, like, uh, and charged with murder. Um, and so I think that there'd be, there'd be some real litigation if they tried to not give him anything less than $250 million. What a mess. And the Texans role. Um, and, and this is two, two more quick ones. Baker's not coming back. There's no way Baker's going to be gone. Right. I mean, where's a, where's he going to go? And B, I mean, they have to pay up. They have to pay up. I know, I don't know what they could do cap wise. I mean, Baker's not going to play, you know, without insurances of guarantees going forward. Not going to play on the fifth year option. No quarterback, if I'm not mistaken, no quarterback has ever played, started on a, on a fifth year option. And we're going to see a couple of that with um, Baker and Sam Darnold and Lamar Jackson, assuming that Lamar doesn't, doesn't resign uh, before that. And so I, he's, I think he's going to want some financial security in that spot. Um, he might be done with it, but like, if Cleveland is your only chance to start in 2022, wouldn't it be a little stupid of them to say, I'd rather go to Atlanta or something? Probably, yeah. But, and but that, that really is cutting your nose off to spite your face. But that's, doesn't that sound like Baker? <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think at some point it becomes a business decision. I think at some point it becomes a business decision. That, that's my take. Oh, thanks so much, man. This has been a blast as always. Thanks for sort of walking me, walking me through my emotions about my brownies. Um, tough time. And, and, and I'll say this, it feels stupid to even think about football in, in the context um, of, of those accusations. But I guess that's sort of what we signed up for when we got into sports media. Go magic. We got, we got the magic to take our mind off. Of we got it the magic to take it. our All mind football. off. It. All football. Fun time here in central Florida. Um, and uh, we'll be looking out for everything debatable, the ringer, uh your f1 stuff and but make sure I, I'm, I'm gonna want some good magic content or at least some reaction and stuff uh heading into the draft i love it thank you so much for having me man all right Kim. be well